and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to yours. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. We've been studying the life of David, and um, I, I so enjoy going through those records. And it, it feels like I should be saying in our last episode, um, <laughs> because where we did leave off last time, again, Saul was in pursuit of, of David. And if you remember, he had to be lowered down out of the window by a rope, and they tried making something in the bed and all of that to try to fool people, but that didn't fool them. And Saul is after him. Saul is after him with a vengeance. We also earlier (coughs) considered briefly the friendship between David and Jonathan. And we saw that there was this incredible great friendship. And tonight we're going to see what a true friend Jonathan is. Sometimes people claim to be somebody's friend, but when the chips are down, they're not there. A real friend is the one that has your back, and that's certainly the case when it comes to Jonathan and David. And seeing how Jonathan is willing to risk his own life and do whatever he can to help his friend um, is, is just a, a wonderful example of friendship and very touching and inspiring. Before going to 1 Samuel, I'd like you to go to Proverbs 17. And I thought of a couple of verses that I'm reminded of by this friendship of David and Jonathan. And in Proverbs chapter 17... And in verse 17, we read, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times. That's what a friend does. He loves at all times. Not just, not just when it's convenient, or not just when it's you know, good for him too. Not just in good times. There's the expression, so-and-so is a fair-weather friend. But that's not what a real friend is. He's not a fair-weather friend. He loves you when you're down and out. He loves you when you're not your best. He loves you you when you really need that help. And that's the kind of friend that Jonathan is to David. In Proverbs 18, you don't have to go far, in verse 24, it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. There's a simple... um, requirement that if you want to have friends, then you got to be friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In the verse we just read before this, it said that a brother is born for adversity. A, A brother is there when you really do come across some hard times or some adversity. When you really need help, that's what a brother should be for. And yet over here it says that there's a friend that sticks even closer than a brother. Because that true friend will be there even when a brother may not. 
And there again is the case with Jonathan and David. Let's go then to 1 Samuel chapter 20. First Samuel 20, verse 1. And David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan. So David comes to his friend and he says, What have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? What did I do wrong? What is it that, you know, I've somehow done to offend your father that he's trying to kill me? Verse 2, and he said unto him, Jonathan said unto David, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. <clears throat> Jonathan just cannot believe that Saul is still trying to kill him. You know, now he should know better, but he just doesn't want to believe that about his father. And he feels that if, if his father really was still after him, he'd know about it. He's close to his father, and that's something to remember when it comes to this relationship, this relationship that, between Jonathan and Saul, as well as the relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan is close, and Jonathan is the one that would be next in line to sit on the throne if Saul had been faithful. If this was going to pass down, if the throne was going to pass down from father to son, it would be Jonathan that would be in line to receive it. And Jonathan says, if something's going on, my father would tell me. Verse 3, And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Wow. That's, that's not a situation you want to be in, is it? A step between me and death. One step between me and death. And he says the reason why you don't know about it is because your father knows how close we are. And he doesn't want to tell you because he knows it will just make you mad. But surely, I, I'm on death's door here as far as your father goes. Verse 4. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And he means what he says. Whatever I can do to help you, whatever it is, you tell me and I'll do it. There's a friend, isn't it? There's a friend who when you are in trouble... It's a friend that says, whatever you need, I'll, I'll be there. And David said, verse 5, And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he say, if he say thus, it is well, no problem, thy servants shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, if he's mad when you tell him that, 
then be sure that evil is determined by him. So I'm going to just hide out for a few days. And I should be at the supper table. I should be at the court. I should be at the dinner table. And if your father misses me, just give him an excuse here. Tell him that I had to go and there's some big family doings and I had to be there for it. Now, if he's fine with that, then there's really nothing to worry about. But if he acts real mad about it, well, then you got to know that I'm right when I tell you that he's after my life. Verse 8. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, if there be, any, be in me iniquity, slay me thyself. For why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? He says, we've got a bond. We have this, this bond. We have this covenant between us. And so I'm asking you, in light of that, to do this for me. But boy, if, if there is some cause for this, if I have really done something wrong, well, then just kill me yourself. Don't even bother with you know, having your father do it. Kill me yourself. And Jonathan, Jonathan said, verse 9, Far be it from thee, for I know certainly that e evil, if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon me, then would I not tell thee? You know, I, I'm not playing games here. If I did know something was happening, that my father had a plan to kill you, I'd tell you. Verse 10. Then said David to Jonathan, who shall tell me, or what if thy father answer thee roughly? We've got to come up with a plan here if he does show disfavor. And Jonathan said unto David, Come, and let us go out into the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow at any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. He says, I'll let you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get word to you here somehow, one way or the other. So they come up with this plan. Verse 15. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. Know not when the Lord hath, count, hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it the hand of David's enemies. So they make this pact that not only on Jonathan's side, what he's going to do is he's going to make sure that David's warned one way or the other. And David's agreement is that he will not ever raise his hand against Jonathan or any of his family. So, and I don't know if we'll get there, but years and years down the line later, um, David, after he is on the throne, not only does he not do any harm to any of Jonathan's family, he seeks out if there are any of Jonathan's family that he can show a kindness to. And he finds this one member, this I guess son of Jonathan, if I remember right, and brings him, and the, the 
the guy was lame, and he brings him to his table, and, and he takes care of him. So he holds up his end of the bargain. Verse 17, And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. That was the, the depth of the love that he had. And I think that's the second time this has been said, that he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then, verse 18, Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed, because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was in hand, and shall remain by the stone easel. So he says, here's our plan. This is how I'm going to warn you. In three days, we're, you go to this place that you've been before, this, this place, then you hide yourself there, and then I'm going to come out there. Verse 20, And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof as though I shot at a mark. I'm going to, you be hiding behind the stone, and I'm going to come out there with my bow and arrow, like I'm doing some target practice, and I'm going to, I'm going to shoot them, and I'll deliberately miss. Verse 21, and behold, I will send the lad, saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them, then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt as the Lord liveth. So if I tell the lad, okay, the arrows are, are right close, you don't have to go far, then that's, that's our code, our secret code here, that everything's fine and you can come out of hiding. But if I say unto the young man, Behold, thy arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. If I tell the, the lad when he's looking for the arrows, Keep going, keep going, then you keep going because you're, you're being pursued. Verse 23. And as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of, behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. So there you kind of picture, there's the, the dinner table, and Abner's there, Jonathan, but no David. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought, something hath befallen him, he is not clean, surely he is not clean. He's thinking, you know, maybe today while he was out and about, he came across a dead body or something, and that would make you ceremonially unclean, so he can't come to the table because of that. Verse 27. And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. Here again he doesn't show up. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? What's going on? Yeah, I know he's your pal. Why hasn't he been at dinner for the last couple of days? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath the sacrifice in the city, and my brother he hath commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. 
Therefore, he cometh not unto the king's table. So he tells them the story they had planned out. He rehearsed and you know, makes it sound pretty good, but Saul's not going to buy it. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> We've shortened it a bit nowadays, that saying. He said, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. What he's talking about here is you're hurting yourself. You are the guy who, if David does end up on the throne, you're the one who's going to be not receiving what should have been your birthright. Your birthright should have been to sit on the throne and, and you know, you, you're just hurting yourself here. Verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. So long as he's breathing, you are not going to be established as the new king. Wherefore now, send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Well, Let's settle this matter right now. Don't you get it? You know, you're just obviously too stupid to realize that it's not just my position that's in jeopardy here, but yours as well. And go get him, and we'll kill him, and that'll be the end of it. Now, you know, if you know anything about the history of kings, not just in the Bible, but the history of kings, period, you know, they'd do anything for keeping that throne. If they perceived anybody was a threat, I don't care how good a friend they were before that. You know, history is, is filled with kings that one day you're friends, the next day you're dead because they think somehow you're working against them. But that's not Jonathan. Jonathan values his friendship with David greater than literally all the wealth of the kingdom. He can have all the wealth and all the power of the kingdom, and he chooses instead his friendship with David. And he chooses it because he loves David, and he chooses it because he knows that David is walking with God. He knows that God is with David, and he's not with Saul. And it's more important to Jonathan that he does what is right before God and right for his friend than any personal glory or gain. 32. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? Why, why should he die? Why should you kill him? What hath he done? What did he do that's wrong? What crime did he commit? Where did he show any kind of treachery? What has he ever done but good for you? Well, this time that doesn't get through to Saul. We saw earlier that when he presented that logic to Saul, Saul was still enough in his right mind that it got through to him, and for a while David was safe. But this time he has quite a different reaction to Jonathan's words. Verse 33, And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he's serious. He's trying to kill me now just for saying that he shouldn't kill David. 
So now he knows beyond any doubt that he is after him. Verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. That, that ticked him off now that Saul is serious and that he's trying to kill him too. And did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Isn't that something? You know, it's not, you know, how dare you try to kill me now. It's he's, he's grieved for, for David because his father did him shame. He's ashamed of his father. He's ashamed that his father has become this, that he's doing this. Verse 35. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. He says, You start heading out there to get ready to retrieve the arrows. And as he heads out, he shoots the arrow far past the target. And when the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond thee? Isn't it farther? Keep going. Keep going. And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. The lad thinks he's talking to him, but of course he's talking to, to David. You know, get going. Get out of Dodge quick. You know, you got to run for your life. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go carry them to the city. So apparently there's nobody else around, and, and so Jonathan feels like he's got a chance here to, to say some parting words to David. He sends the lad back home. And as soon as the lad was gone... David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times, showing his love, his respect to, to Jonathan. And they kissed one another and wept one with another, and David exceeded. You know, what a moment that must have been for these two friends. You know, they're heartbroken that Saul is doing this stuff, and, and poor Jonathan, he's ashamed of his father. And they're heartbroken because they know that this is a parting of the ways, that, that they've got to go separate ways now, that David's got to run for his life, and that they're not going to be able to enjoy all the time, good times together that they once had. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went to the city. So <clears throat> that's, that begins now David's time of fleeing in the wilderness. You know, up until this time, <clears throat> he wasn't completely convinced he, he believed that Saul was after him. Certainly Saul had given him plenty of reason to believe that. But he might have still held out some hope. And that's why they have this whole plan, this whole you know, elaborate plan for Jonathan to find out exactly where Saul is at. But now there's no question, there's no, there's no going back on this one now. There's no calling 
Saul back to his right mind in this situation. He's going to be after David, and David has to run for his life. And so he does. He runs for his life. He takes off. And he, he heads out, and we won't cover all these records, but he heads out, and he begins by getting a weapon. He, he realizes he's going to need a weapon. That he's, If he's got to go out and be on his own, he's going to, even though he, he has never any intent of raising a weapon against Saul, that's never in his thinking at all. He will not, no matter what, no matter what jeopardy his own life is in, and no matter how many people begin to side with David and follow him, it never, never is in David's thinking to go up against Saul. Anybody else would have. And with anybody, in, and in any other nation, they might have excused it. You know why David never raised his hand against Saul? Because Saul was God's anointed. And even if he was no longer walking with God, even though he no longer had the Spirit of God, instead had an evil spirit, he was possessed, once a man was anointed of the Lord, then that marked his life. And God would take care of him, and David knew that. David trusted that God would protect him, and he trusted that God would handle this situation. But David will never never raise his hand against him. David flees. He, needs, he knows he needs a sword, so he goes and gets a good one. <laughs> he gets the sword of Goliath. I told you when he killed Goliath that he was going to end up with that sword. Well, he does. He goes and gets that sword of Goliath. And then he starts to get a, a following. His, his family, his brothers come, and others come, and they start to be with David and to just help him. And he does some fighting, but not against, not against Saul. He, he does some fighting against the Philistines and others that are, are threats to Israel. So even though he's ousted from Saul and out of the kingdom and out of you know, his good graces, he's still doing everything he can to help the kingdom, and, and you know, Saul's benefiting from it. <laughs> That's just this wonderful, pure heart of David. You remember when God first sent Samuel to anoint David, what he said. He had rejected Saul, and instead he had sought a man after his own heart. God sought a man after his <coughs> own heart. And that's the thing that you, you really want to look at and notice and, and observe as we go through these records. What it was about David that was so special. What made him a man after God's own heart? Why was David such a wonderful, wonderful king? Because he becomes the standard for all kings from that day forward. Every other king is compared to him. And God will say, you are a good king like my servant David, or you are not a good king, you did evil, not like, you are not like my servant David. But David was that man that had that kind of purity of heart. So we'll close there, and next time we look at this, we'll see just how much <clears throat> David, what lengths he goes to, to never raise a hand against Saul, even when he could. 
down the word is on my mind 